Hello, and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, a podcast where three Orthodox women discuss all of the wonderful, nerdy, amazing things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, S.M. Rosenberg. Hello. And Tamar Herman. So today, we're going to be diving into, uh, if you've been following our just-started journey along the Midot Musar, or the, I guess, what did we decide to call them? Traits of self-improvement? That was our English translation, roughly. Right, exactly. So we're going to be handling Basically, generosity we tell today. you how to be a better person. Yeah, listen to us. We, we got it down. <laughs> <laughs> we know everything. We are all clearly perfect. <laughs> 100% unproblematic, wholesome people. <laughs> well, today today is generosity, um, and uh, we're going to get into that, uh, of course. But um, before that, we're going to start, as usual, with our current obsessions. So would anyone like to go first? I can start. Go for it. So my latest obsession, I'm a little late to the party, but um, years ago, I was recommended the Libby app, and I didn't um, feel like bothering to get... At the time, I didn't have the ability to get an app on my phone, because my phone was uh, tiny and garbage. But now I have a phone, and... It took me a year after getting this phone, but I finally decided to try the Libby app. And in case you don't know what the Libby app is, it is the uh, it is a library app that you can connect to pretty much any library that you are a member of. So all you need is a library card, and you put in you know your library card number under the barcode, um, and it will uh, connect you to that library's digital collection. Um, and this includes books, and this includes audiobooks. So this has been very exciting because I I like audiobooks. I just you know don't necessarily make time to listen to them, or um, don't necessarily have access to them all the time. So I finally decided to try this and see how it worked, and it works amazingly. And one you know a lot of books are available right there and you can just uh click borrow and you can take out up to three at a time uh for 14 days each and some of them are not available because i don't know how digital copies of things work but sometimes it says you know zero out of two copies available now and whatever there's just no reason that a digital file should not be able to be lent a million bazillion times but i guess capitalism so um so sometimes you have to place a hold and you can place up to three holds i think um or maybe two holds i don't know i haven't extended my hold uh capacity yet but i went looking for star trek books i went looking for books that were on my wish list that i hadn't had a chance to read and i found um one that was um that was by the author of Artemis Fowl, who wrote a Iron Man book that I had on my list a while ago, because I never read an Iron Man book, but I was curious because this author has his very uh, fun and uh, unique style. So I tried that out, and the narrator for that was amazing, and this, the author's style goes really well with Tony Stark and his shenanigans, and it was just a delightful listen from start to finish. And 
I also got a Star Trek book. And what I thought thought was really cool was the way that you can sync it across multiple devices really, really easily. So like when I'm listening at home, I can listen in my browser. Um, and when I go when I go to work, which I do physically once a week, <laughs> I can go uh, I can listen on my phone. And when I get to work, then I can open a, a browser uh, tab and just synchronize it. It gives you like a one minute code that you get on your on your phone that you you type in and you're synced and it goes immediately to the place where you left off. And it's just really convenient and really easy. And I just finished reading a book over Chavez and it left on a cliffhanger and I need to know what happens next. So I looked on Libby and I found the audiobook of the second one. They also have the regular book you can buy you can borrow, but um but I decided to try the audiobook and I feel like I'm getting just so much more reading done and <laughs> it's just really, really great and very convenient. Wait, wait, which which book? Which book? Which book? Um the book was Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson. And mm, it's I've heard about that. It's really good. One of the things I really liked about it is that every single girl in it you could say is a manic pixie dream girl, but it doesn't feel like a sexist cliche because the book doesn't center around a male protagonist. It's got a female protagonist um, and it's not about romance. It's a murder mystery. Uh, and it just feels like, you know, these characters are, you know, super weird and quirky, but they're not weird and quirky to teach us important life lessons about ourselves. It's, they're just people being weird, <laughs> you know, um, for their own selves. They're just manic pixies. Yeah, they're just manic pixies. They're nobody's dream. They're just people who happen to be weird and quirky. Um, and they're all at this school for weird and quirky people. So it makes sense that they're all like that. <laughs> and yeah, and I finished the book. So just to warn you, you get a lot of information as the book goes on. It unfolds and like you, you feel like you're starting to put the clues to... You've been putting the clues together and you get, you get somewhere, but it doesn't completely solve the murder by the end of the first book. And I was like, what? <laughs> so now I need the, the next book um, to find out exactly what is going on. Um, and I expect there will be, you know, more mysteries raised and more murders happen and exciting stuff. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, the first book is called Truly Devious. And then I uh, borrowed the audio book for the next one, which is called The Vanishing Stare. Yeah, so that's my pitch for Libby. You should totally get it if you don't. Oh, and if your physical library card has expired, which mine did between taking out my first loans and trying to take out new loans after I returned them, um, suddenly my library card didn't work anymore and it was telling me it needed to be verified and it was expired. And I was like, I don't know what that means. How do I, how do I fix that? Um, and apparently like, I looked up how you renew your library card and a physical library card can only be renewed in person, which is obviously not going to happen. So, um, cause the New York public library that I'd originally gotten my library card in is in Manhattan and I don't live there. And I go there once a week on Fridays when I have absolutely no time to do anything else in the city. So, uh, yeah, little did I know at the time when I got it, it seemed like a reasonable thing to do because 
I figured I would be in the city all the time for work and I could just drop by the library if I needed anything. But no, plague happened. So uh, then I looked for other options and they do have a digital library card option. And I wasn't sure if that would work with Libby, uh, but I figured I would try it and it does work with Libby. So if you don't have a physical library card and you can't go to a physical branch at the moment to get one, you can apply for a digital library card and it will give you one that works just the same and you can use that number instead. So that's great. Um, highly recommend it. Libraries are magic. Um, that's actually really good to know because I actually, a few months ago, I started getting things. I didn't know about Libby app, but I was getting things directly to my Kindle from the NYP, the New York Public Library. Um, and if you're listening, you may or may not know that I moved to Hong Kong last October. Um, so I cannot physically go to the library and my card apparently expired. And my mom was like, well, I, I mean, I guess I could go in and renew your card. Um, not only did I move, so who knows where my library card is, but my parents also moved. So we have absolutely no idea where any of my stuff even is. I mean, I assume some, some box says like tomorrow's like crap. Um, so that is really good to know that I can get a digital library card with the help of, I might text you after. So thank yeah, you. For no that. problem. I can send you the link. It's uh, like, it was very easy to find. And I'm going to tell my mom because my mom is like, yeah, I was using the Libby app, but then it stopped working because my card expired. And I just didn't know what I did. just didn't want to deal with it. Um, so I was like, I will test out this digital thing for you and let you know how it goes. So this is me letting the world know how it goes. It goes well. That's like the most millennial thing ever. <laughs> I'll test it out for you. <laughs> it involves digital <laughs> yes <laughs> my mom has uh, her phone is very tricked out because she has a Gen Zer living in her house so he is super helpful in setting everything up he has set separate pictures of her grandchild as um, the background also the keyboard can have its own like subtle background image so he put another picture there and her lock screen is a different picture so she just has baby pictures all the time on her phone and she's just very happy about it. <laughs> but um, setting things up herself is not always uh, optimal. So yeah, we help out. Yeah, not to get on a tangent, but for my mom, that's, I mean, me also, but um, a lot of the time the students she works with are just like, <laughs> we're going to take your phone. <laughs> like, yeah, so like, update we're it. Fix this. <laughs> yeah. There is an app for that and you should know it. <laughs> Uh, Tamar, how about you? What's your obsession? Um, so it's not so much an obsession as I just walked out of the movie theater for seeing Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh my god, um, I can't see so it yeah. yet, but um, yeah, I can't I, tell. Nothing, cause, because people haven't seen it yet and won't have seen it by the time that this podcast um, comes out. I'm not going to say any spoilers, just I have a lot of thoughts. Um, I was more excited about the Doctor Strange trailer um, that was featured. Um, I just, I just... I'm intrigued by that plot. Um, it was a fun movie. I saw a lot of people say this was like their favorite Marvel film in a really long time. And I did not feel that at all, which I know like is probably really controversial and maybe I'll change my mind in a few months. But like, I'm here for like the, the ridiculousness of Thor Ragnarok and like the humor more. And this, this had some, but it, it was really just like sad hours so much with some like happy little things every few minutes and then plot. Um, so I thought it was good. I'm sure Michal has thoughts. SM, I hope you get to see it soon. And I hope everybody listening enjoys it and 
tease it soon and if you want and share sauce with us if you want yeah i'm really excited about it i do want to see it i i like that you lowered my expectations because then i will enjoy it more low expectations equals better movie experience in my uh in my experience so that's good but um yeah i don't know if i'm going to be seeing it anytime soon because uh omicron and my neighborhood is I don't know if they ever really acknowledged that COVID really existed. So, um, yeah, like they haven't night, invented I... a color strong enough for our neighborhood. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I came home um, on Friday night after I, you know, I have my my one bubble of people that I see pretty much is my parents, and uh, so I eat my Shabbos meals most of the time there. And so I, I had that, and I came home and the neighbors in the apartment right next door to mine um, were having like a big loud Shabbos Oneg with people coming and going, no masks anywhere, all ages, um, who knows vaccination status, <laughs> not me. So I was like, well, that is not reassuring in terms of hoping that Omicron won't be spreading in the neighborhood. So <laughs> um, yeah. Probably if you ask, most of them will be like, well, we already had COVID, not a big deal. <laughs> so I don't know. But anyway, yeah, unless we can rent out an entire theater, which is not out of the realm of possibility, but also just not as easy as waiting for it to become available somewhere else and avoiding spoilers in the meantime. Um, yeah, but also if there's a Doctor Strange trailer, that's good. Very excited about that also, because my dad's favorite is actually Doctor Strange. He felt like Doctor Strange, the the movie, and just like that, the way that it, he felt like it broke a bit of the the mold of the other Marvel movies, um, in the way that it was constructed and the you know, all of the the magical stuff and the the way it played with time, uh, as the I still haven't as seen a superpower. It. Okay, well, a lot of people didn't. See I mean, it I'm I'm not just... not saying that as a spoiler thing. Please spoil it. I I I yeah no no, no. I'm not going, I'm not intending but... to spoil it because whatever this it's it is a you know is a, a kind of a, you know a classic hero narrative, but uh but there are certain elements of it that are very that are a bit different from from other ones, and I think that you know Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch is um is very good in the role. Like it requires somebody at certain points, it requires somebody with real serious acting chops and he has them. So, um, is good. But anyway, he'll be showing up in a bunch of different movies, including Spider-Man No Way Home. So I'm very excited about this. <laughs> um, so that is, I was considering doing No Way Home as my obsession. Um, but I think I, I would like to save it until I can actually oh, like, no, 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 I, I, it's totally valid. Like I, I, I and I, I want to, I kind of want to dig into it more, um, before I like obsession it. Um, but I, I will, I will say it is a good movie and you should go see it if that is safe for you and possible. Um, I, I, I was torn on my, um, obsession cause I kind of have a lot of things that I'm sort of in the middle of. Like I started watching the Witcher season two and I'm, I'm reading, um, the second book in the Skullamance, Skullamance series by Naomi Novik, but, like, I, I I haven't finished them yet, so I kind of can't... I don't know that I can, like, officially call them obsessions. So I'm gonna just revert to um, a history podcast, or actually two history podcasts, 
because that's the other thing that goes on in my life. Um, and I'm gonna pick, hang on, sorry, what are they called? Um, there's a, there's a British podcast network or like general history documentary network called History Hit. Um, and they have a bunch of podcasts and one of them is called Not Just the Tudors. And that is kind of like about the, um, you know, uh, 15th, 16th century, um, or I guess it would be 16th and 17th century. Um, and, you know, so, some Tudor stuff, but also just like, what else was going on around the world at that time? Uh, and then they have uh, one called Gone Medieval, which is basically what it sounds like. Uh, it's about, you know, again, mostly European, but sometimes uh, around the world, like, uh, you know, medieval life and um obviously there's an interesting conversation to be had about do we classify the same time period as medieval if we're not talking about europe because that medieval has certain connotations and whatever um but i really like both of those podcasts and they have a lot of interesting um subjects so like the last most recent one um from gone medieval is medieval perceptions of gender and the most recent um tutors um, is, well, actually they're talking about like, uh, tutors, like performances on stage. Um, but I just listened to one that was like, uh, true crime in the Tudor era. So it was like plays that dealt with true, true crime stories, uh, during, during the Tudor era. And I thought that was really interesting. So, um, yeah, Gone Medieval and not just the Tudors from History Hit. I, if you're a nerd, you might like them. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're li- not uh, not a nerd, why are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I guess not everyone's like a history nerd, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's going to take us into our main topic, which, as we mentioned, um, is generosity or nedivut, um, would be the Hebrew way of saying that. I never knew that, honestly. It's not a word that I know. comes up that often in conversation. Well, I felt bad because we were like, savlanut, savlanut, savlanut all the time with <laughs> with patience. And I feel like generosity was feeling left out. Um, so <laughs> I just decided to actually look it up. Um, and it is, it is Nadivut. Um, so I think I was looking through this and I think these, these traits are going to get like a little bit more difficult to relate to fandom and fiction. Like, as we go on, and then they're going to get, like, significantly easier toward the end. I have faith in our abilities to stretch. Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting to think of things in, like, different ways. Like, as I was kind of, you know, sitting down to think about it, there were diff- a lot of different, like, elements of generosity that kind of came to mind. Because um, I'll admit, like, I definitely started off thinking just, like, of, like, I guess, material generosity. So, like, characters who have, who give, you know... Um, and like, they're definitely, you know, so obviously like my mind goes to, you know, Harry and Harry Potter and his like sudden windfall from his parents and kind of how he deals with, you know, friends who have less, um, than he does and like whether he does that correctly or not, like, um, but then, you know, generosity of spirit came up also, like I I was thinking of, and, um, I was, I was also one question I guess I want to ask you guys is, like, is generosity a quality that protagonists, or I guess material generosity, is that, like, something you would consider, like, standard among, or or 
typical of protagonists because a lot of the time, at least in modern storytelling, protagonists are like people who need. They're not the people who have, I find. So I kind of wanted to pitch that as a question. Um, I see both. I see the the idea of like where you're coming from that most of the time, like nowadays modern heroes tend to like come from something to nothing. Uh, from nothing to something, sorry. Um, which mean, which I think is what you're saying with the need. But then I also think like the generosity, maybe not even, not like physical generosity or like financial generosity, but so much of the hero journey is like, they usually learn that they can't just help themselves. Like they have to be generous towards other people, like saving other people or doing something along the way. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that it's, it's a great question, but I, I think that it's less, mm, like less in, intense than I think you're uh, offering it as. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that's super interesting because it it is like, I mean, obviously characters go on journeys all the time, so like the the idea is that they gain something from that and um, generosity and like uh, the ability to give whatever that would mean is something that they can definitely like gain also along their journey. Yeah. I, I have two things about this. Cause one of my main things that I wanted to bring up was, um, superheroes and how we don't usually discuss that in terms of generosity. Um, and we, you know, it's bravery and heroism and badassery and all of that, but we don't really think of them uh, in terms of generosity, and I was wondering if you guys had thoughts on that. But a different thing that I just thought of um, when you were talking about characters needing versus characters giving. Um, this is an older fandom, but hopefully it checks out. Um, the uh, have any have either of you read the book A Little Princess? The like the classic? Yeah, the classic book the, A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Yeah, 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 yes, a long time ago, but yes. Yeah, so we it was one of my earliest uh, audiobook experiences because my mom used to rent audiobooks back when you had to get them in the mail. Um, and so this one I listened to many times, and I still know parts of it by heart uh, <laughs> to the point where actually it showed up um, toward the end of, I think it was Angel, one of the characters is reading to another one, um, and I immediately recognized that it was uh, an excerpt from The Little Princess. From A Little Princess. Oh um, God! Don't talk to me about that episode. Ah! <laughs> no, <laughs> just gonna kill everything. Um, no, it doesn't matter. Joss already did. He killed everything you love. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, um, so the main arc of the story is that Sarah Crew, the uh, the protagonist, who I'm sure I did not at all bond with because of our names. Um, she starts out as this extremely well-off, wealthy girl in a boarding school, um, but she is um, incredibly thoughtful and generous and um, and kind to everyone around her. And she has this, you know, very mature and unique perspective that, like, she says at one point to the to the scullery maid who everyone treats like garbage, um, but she befriends. Um, and she says at one point that it's, you know, it's only an accident that I am not you and you are not me, that, 
you know, had circumstances been different, you know, entirely outside of my control, obviously our roles in life could have been completely different. And then um, toward the middle of the book, or I don't know, maybe a third of the way through, um, her father, um, who was extremely wealthy, obviously, and who was um, sending her all kinds of things, and she was super uh, close with, um, and he was very loving and caring, and uh, he passes away, um, and she is suddenly penniless. He died broke overseas, and she is and the the head of the school always resented her because she made her feel inferior because the <laughs> because Sarah clearly had better Midos than she did and she resented that. <laughs> um but uh so the head of the school uh uh she she basically takes her into uh into servitude and she'll give her she'll allow her to stay at the school and have room and board in the attic. Um, and as long as she, uh, is basically another scullery maid and it's a really fascinating character study of how she, you know, how Sarah maintains her dignity and, um, her, her independence and her spirit of generosity, even when she has nothing. Um, and there is this moment that I remember from when she's, out on the street running errands and she finds um like a four pence piece in the in the gutter um and it's the most money she's seen in forever and she hasn't had a proper meal in like a couple of days and she passes by a bakery and they're selling you know a bun a bun for a pence for a penny or whatever the currency is um and she she buys four buns and the uh the lady behind the counter sees that like you know she's clearly starving <laughs> you know um and gives her and gives her two extra so she goes out of the the uh the bakery with six buns and then she sees there's a little girl that she's passed before who is entirely homeless and like can barely you know really speak english is kind of you know just in really, really bad shape, um, homeless and starving and has absolutely nothing. And so Sarah goes over to her and puts down a bun next to her. Um, and then she puts down another one. Um, and then another, and she, and then she asks, thinks to herself, she is starving. I am not starving. And she puts down five of them and keeps only one for herself and walks home and eats it very, very slowly so that it lasts the whole way. And I always found like that was just so incredible (laughs) and profound of like being honest to that degree of, you know, exactly how bad your situation is and being able to maintain some kind of perspective that somebody else, even when things are terrible for you, somebody else has it worse and being able to be generous. And it's just like, anyway, Sarah Crew is is an icon and everyone should read that book. So that brings up something that I was actually thinking of. I I kind of wonder if there's an extent to which, like, how do I put this? Like classic literature maybe deals a little bit more with material generosity and it's kind of implication of spiritual or emotional generosity 
Do you know what I mean? Like I was, you know, even something like Cinderella, you know, is, is I think a story that Cinderella kind of comes into her eventual good fortune because of her emotional generosity, you know, um, certainly in, in the Disney version, but like oh, yeah, just being in general, a good person a, in general is rewarded. Right. Exactly. Um, and I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we haven't, we, we don't as much probably because modern authors are a little more skeptical of like <laughs> capitalism, um, but, and I'm sure other reasons, but like, I feel like we don't necessarily reward like that, that trope of like the good person emotionally gets the physical benefits of that later um, is, is less of a, is less something that authors and creators engage with now. We just want our characters to suffer no matter how good they are. <laughs> well, I mean, I was thinking of also like, like Tony Stark, right? Yes. In terms of material wealth, um, he's definitely up there in terms of um, material yeah, I wouldn't mention him in terms of like, there's a trend of, you know, the, the billionaire, you know, the billionaire hero, a superhero, and mm-hmm. how they can be extremely generous, you know, in, with their with their money. Um, but still, we don't think of their superheroing as really part of that generosity. It's usually like some kind of atonement. Um, and like, if something is motivated by atonement, or if it's motivated by revenge, is it not generosity? Um, because there are mitigating factors. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a really interesting question. Because I think like, you know, the. It, the, the way generosity functions in that in that sort of circumstance is like almost reparative like they they owe it to people you know like i, I don't i don't think the mcu i mean at least the mcu i guess I, i'll say is it it doesn't engage with tony's wealth in like a critical way um it's just no. a very useful storytelling trope for like the guy who has everything to briefly lose everything and then be able to fund the Avengers and all of their, you know, have them in his Manhattan penthouse and get all the tech and costumes. But like, is that even generosity? Because it's like, it, there's no indication that that ever costs Tony anything. I think there's one line in one movie that he's like, well, I pay for everything. Um, (laughs) And like, other than that, it's just not engaged with. And so I don't, I don't know, like, it's, it's interesting to talk about with Iron Man because I feel like generosity is sort of something that he, like, deals with, like, in a spiritual way, you know, that is a, a, a problem for him because, because material generosity is so easy and, like, so not, it's like, not, I don't know if you could, cl- like, classify it as a meetup because, you know, like I said, it, it doesn't have a price for him. But then his arc really kind of takes him through becoming generous spiritually and actually giving things up for other people. And obviously that that culminates in, you know, spoilers for Endgame, but like giving up his life for, you know, half of reality. Um, Or all of reality at that point, because he's going to... Right, that's true. Right, right, sorry. You're right. (laughs) Thanos is like, actually, I'm going to get rid of all of you. (laughs) Thanos is a complicated villain, guys. (laughs) 
Yeah, he has, you know, good intentions. <laughs> oh god, I really I could I could go on such a long rant about how like I mean, it goes well with so... the, you know, Thanos did nothing wrong cuz that's a hit. Right. So like I'm like I, you're you're making my case for me. So. Yeah, right. Something that does genuinely stress me out totally totally off topic. It it genuinely stresses me out to think how bad of a situation the planet is in after um the population has started to recover after losing half of itself and then getting all of those other people back and creatures yeah. and organisms like it 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 actually very much causes me anxiety to think about <laughs> well fortunately it's not a realistic scenario and most likely won't happen in your lifetime this is true this is true <laughs> yes, because, you know, I found out scientists tested whether it's possible to snap with a glove on, and it's not. So, <laughs> that's the that's the plot hole that this all hinges on. <laughs> anyway, um, I was also, th- I was thinking, though, that um, part of Tony's arc is not just that, because, like, he, the material stuff doesn't cost him anything, clearly, because he has, you know, money to burn, but spending that money in a way that will be meaningful to someone else is something that he clearly um, struggles with from the beginning of the movie toward the end. Uh, Like, giving gifts. Like, he gives, you know, extravagant gifts, but often they're not what people want, (laughs) you know? Um, But I feel like you get that in the beginning of Iron Man 3, he gets Pepper this, like, like in the, in Iron Man 2, he gets her strawberries because he was like, I remembered something significant about you and strawberries. And she's like, yeah, the one food I'm allergic to. And he was like, yes, I knew there was something. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, um, yeah, in, and in Iron Man 3, he gets her a giant, giant bunny that is just, she's just like, why? <laughs> and he's like, you don't like it. I get it. Okay. It was too much. Um, and then toward the end of the movie... You see um, him get this uh, this little boy that he has uh, bonded with over the course of the movie. He gets him um, like a whole, you know, tool shed full of stuff that he knows that the kid will appreciate. Um, and I feel like, you know, that's a little micro arc of learning to give somebody a gift that they actually need or want versus just throwing your money around because it makes you feel, you know, like you feel like you should give a gift, but you you know, haven't actually given it any thought and like the thought that counts. (laughs) I'd argue that he doesn't learn that lesson. I'm not saying he doesn't, he learns it completely. Honestly, Tony doesn't learn anything completely. (laughs) Cause you saw this, you saw not, not no way home, but you saw far from home, right? Mm hmm. Because, yes. like, the whole plot of that movie is because <laughs> Tony died, and he like, I'm going to give it to the kid. Put it in a trust if you want to give it to the kid. The kid is a kid. Um, like, so stupid. That's the whole plot. Yeah, no, I, I, I actually saw Homecoming, I think, after I saw Far From Home. And then I was like, Tony gave this kid who made these decisions, he gave him that? Why would you do that, Tony? You're the worst judgment ever. (laughs) Honestly, this is why I love Iron Man, because he's incapable of making a decision to save his life. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we love him because he means well, he means well, but like, no, Tony. Tony, don't. So I was just wondering, does anybody have any other conversations or questions about generosity or examples of it? 
beyond Tony Stark. Yeah, so mine, my next one was more meta. I don't know if we want to move on to the meta discussions um, or if we want to keep with characters. No, I have some good, some meta thoughts also uh, uh, that would... Okay, so this is about generosity in terms of uh, fandom. And I feel like this is not... A, I don't think this is a very controversial opinion that um, that there is a tendency in fandom nowadays to read things uncharitably or as uncharitably as possible um, so that, like, even the most minor, you know, misstatement or, um, or phrasing or implication is suddenly turned into pure evil. <laughs> um, um, I'm, I'm just going to say, I think this is like a conversation about cancel culture. It, it can be, yeah. But um, I don't like using cancel culture as a term necessarily because it means different things to different people. Me neither, but I just also don't think that's necessarily the conversation around generosity. Well, I think that it matters in terms of fandom and how we interact with each other and how we interact with the creators in fandom. Um, And I'm not even going to the level of canceling. I'm just saying that we often, people will make assumptions um, without looking at context um, and without looking at anything really they'll just uh they'll spin things um out of control and i think you know just in fandom like i'm i'm in spaces where you know that doesn't happen because it's you know there are spaces that uh where the where the tendency is toward more nuanced and complicated conversations um rather than than quick takes uh and those are difficult to find on the internet i think um but they are there and I've always enjoyed those spaces more. And there's just, in general, there's a spirit of generosity um, in those spaces that allows for people to make mistakes. Obviously, you know, there are different degrees of mistakes um, and I'm not talking about, you know, the big ones, (laughs) but um, in terms of knowing the correct words and phrases um, and having opinions of liking certain things and not liking other things and um, making moral judgments on your character based on the things that you like. Uh, In general, there's just, there are more toxic places and less toxic places. Um, And I think that what separates the less toxic places from the more toxic places is that sense of generosity um, that we have with other fans and with the the creators and the works that we're interacting with uh i guess i think what i think what what this is really touching on was something i was thinking about also which is the nature of fandom and the nature of content taking in like consumption i guess Yeah. yeah is is not an inherently it's an inherently selfish one right because what do we do as fans? We, we like the thing, but you know, all all we do is take it really, you know, at least directly from the creator. Well, that's where, that's where fan culture comes in. Well, so yeah. So I'm thinking about that too, but I, I, but I think it's worth interrogating a little bit. Like is, Mm -hmm. is being a fan of something 
you know, like, I, again, I, I go to my classics with, like, George R. R. Martin, and, like, is it, you know, the, the, the fan demand for more stories and more books, like, that I, you know, and I'm completely part of this, so I'm not, like, casting <laughs> stones here, but, like, I, I, there's a certain amount of people justify it, I guess, through, of, like, demanding more more content or like why isn't the book finished or like whatever um it's kind of justified through the like well you wouldn't be famous or rich or whatever without us and it's like sure that's true on a certain level like i i don't think that like creators have no have have nothing to thank their fans for in that in that most basic relationship right um but at the same time, like there, the the idea of entitlement is rampant in in I guess fan culture, and it you know can and that's like the opposite of of generosity. It's like you know you 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 must keep giving me the thing because I I demand that you keep giving me the thing, and it's your job. And if you don't, you're wrong, and I'm right. You know, um, and like that's that's boiling it down to extremely you know basic and uncharitable perspectives because obviously there's a lot more complicated stuff here again i want the winds of winter i'm not saying yes. that like you're also, a bad and person. you gave me the thing but it's not exactly the thing that i wanted you to give me there's a lot of right. that <laughs> yeah Especially in, you know a lot of reboot fandoms now you know there are a lot of things that are making a comeback um and they're being rebooted and they're being redone or having sequels and things like that and you know there's always going to be people who are like but i don't like it it's bad the other one was better why didn't you just do the other one <laughs> you know? yeah. why didn't you and do like, the thing that's in my head yeah yeah why didn't you do it exactly as i want it how i want it I, w- I was kind of thinking that a little bit with the Cowboy Bebop um, live action oh, thing, man. which I didn't watch. I've never seen the original Cowboy me Bebop, either, so I cannot comment it on it. just to see it, <laughs> the way that yeah. it down. Yeah, like, people immediately were just like, this is garbage, this is terrible. And, like, maybe it is, I don't, I don't know, but, like, I know the, I, not that I know the creator, but, like, um... Um, I know I that John Cho apparently it was a passion project of his. And, like I feel so yeah, bad and for Javier him. Uh, Grillo Marsh Marsh um, is the showrunner, and like he has worked so hard on so many nerd projects, and like frankly, just has a really bad track record with getting things off the ground and getting them like to last. And it also felt like he was, you know, so proud of what they had done with this, and like people were just like laughing when it got canceled and i was just like i i don't i don't know maybe i'd feel the same way if i if i knew it but like i i just feel like from the outside it's just like even if it's not exactly to your taste it's clearly something that people put a lot of love into and you know again having that like just generosity to i guess you know feel that something is created by should humans. exist even if yeah <laughs> and and that and that their effort should be honored even if it's not like perfect you know yeah and, like, there's, you know, there's middle ground of, like, you know, I really don't like this and, you know, I think it, you know, should have been canceled, but also just not, you know, exulting in it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, just for kind sure. of tacky, I... you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, um, to what you said about, you know, there's a lot of fan culture that is inherently, like, generous on a on a level that is kind of, like, antithetical to capitalism. Yeah, like, I did a paper on fan fiction uh, when I was in college, 
Um, and it was, and one of the things I came across was, you know, was how fan fiction, you know, there have been attempts to monetize it, but it's like very antithetical to the way that fan fiction works because fan fiction is, um, they called it a gift culture because it's all about just gifting things to people and giving them more of things that make them happy, you know? Um, and you frequently find like a lot of writers are, they've, they've said specifically fanfic writers that I've seen, they say, it's easier for me to write something for someone you know, if I have someone in mind and I know that this is, you know, these are all the tropes they like. These are all the, you know, the characters they want and the dynamics they want. And uh, it gives me much more motivation than just, you know, writing something, you know, for myself or out there, you know. And so there's just a, a lot of giving going on in uh, fanfic culture. Um, and I feel like, you know, people who volunteer and organize cons, they put in so much work <laughs> um, and... Uh, like, I can't even fathom <laughs> how much work goes into organizing something like Dragon Con, and pretty much they're doing it, you know, for free and because they love it. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of generosity in that aspect of fandom, and that should definitely be encouraged. Yeah, and I think that's also, I guess, I guess part of it is, like, the ups and downs of being non-passive, right? Because there's, there's nothing bad about reading a book or watching a show or whatever and loving it and keeping that to yourself and not being, you know, not demanding more, but also not, I guess, adding to mm -hmm. the atmosphere of that thing. Yes. Um, According to Henry Jenkins, who was quoted in my fanfic paper that I wrote, <laughs> um, he calls that part. Oh, this just got like way, uh, way higher level. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a professor of media or whatever, um, but he called it participatory he culture. He's quite big. Yeah, participatory culture. Um, and yeah, that's when you, you know, you don't just consume, but you actively give back and engage with it in a more active way. So since we're, like, talking about Henry Jenkins, who, like, I talk about, like, once every other day, just because he always comes up in conversations about hip-hop. Um, just fan... Well, he comes up in... in <laughs> I have a lot of friends who are academics, and he comes up in conversations and panels <laughs> and articles. So because of exactly what you just said, he researches, like, fandom dynamics and stuff. Um, and K-pop and just general... Uh, I'm kind of surprised that... Or not surprised, but I guess just we haven't really touched on the actual charitable element like literal charity um element of of fandom spaces which often come together to i'm not just talking about k-pop but just generally like fandom spaces tend to raise funds or oh yeah like um, marvel trumps hate and fandom trumps hate like auctions yeah like just like yeah there's a lot of financial um charities in k-pop specifically um, fans are regularly fundraising, yes, to fund their favorite stars' careers and stuff, like by buying albums or mass streaming or buying ads or whatever, but also like donating to charities that in the name of their favorite star. Um, and celebrities themselves also are known to donate quite a bit. Um, BTS famously donated a million dollars to Black Lives Matters, the movement, and then within 24 hours, their fans had like organized with proof that they had donated over a million dollar match within 24 hours. Um, which like, okay, fine. A million it, it, really cool. to some people like, right. Like if you're Jeff Bezos, that's like a second at the sink. 
Um, but if you're a fan coming together and putting receipts, like they had this whole like system, it was this really cool thing and they always donate a ton. Um, famous Korean singers are known like for their charitable giving. Sometimes it'll come out like years later. Oh yeah. They were like funding this program in their hometown or something. And fans have historically, um, partially for like PR reasons and partially cause they're just inspired by these celebrities. Um, like donated forests. If you go to a concert in Korea, there'll always be, um, huge piles of like rice packets being donated. And it's like in like honor of this concert, we're donating rice, um, to this charity or be, you know, flowers that say like we donated X amount. And it's, and it's kind of like bragging rights, like, wow, the fans are so charitable, but also it's, it's also helps the celebrities, you know, Oh, they have a charitable fandom, but it also reflects, what these fandoms are doing. Cause like you wouldn't be donating to charity unless you were thinking about donating to charity, unless you were thinking like, this is a good thing to participate in. Um, so I think that's something that's really cool. Um, and, and it, and it, it is kind of like we were discussing before, like there is some gain, which is that like, there is good PR. And if you're donating enough money, I guess tax breaks. Um, but again, back to like capitalism and, everything um but i think that that's like something we haven't really touched on which is actual that fandoms do um tend to and like celebrities do also like you know they're ambassadors for things um but i think that fandom space is uh not always the most generous but there is a lot of generosity like like fan fiction and these actual like charitable donations and stuff that i think are cool yeah so it's like yeah there's I guess this the we don't have a unified theory of fandom generosity, but we have you know there's the no. quantum level <laughs> and and the regular level. We'll leave that to Henry Jenkins to theorize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just find this um, that often there are just like a lot of different things in life where you know the two things coexist that don't seem to really mesh together. Um, so you just you have to apply different rules to different parts of them. So I feel like just, that's yeah. just humanity in a nutshell. Yeah. Oh yeah. In my old age, I'm like, ah, the answer is both. Yes. <laughs> the answer <laughs> is it depends. <laughs> I just read a really good quote. Oh, I should. Oh, whatever. I don't have it out. Is it Rabbi? I was reading Rabbi Sachs like lecture on Shabbos, and he had a good quote about like how. Although I had to find it now because it was a really good quote and really. Yeah, go find that. You can let us know and we can title the episode after it. (laughs) No, 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 it wasn't that good. It was a long quote. Okay. Hold on. Because he, like, is a philosophy major, so he always, like, brings in, like, random philosophy things. Uh, Shoot, it was something about, like, ugh, I can't find it. It was, like, something about how, like, there's, there is always, like, a, but, uh, like, you can always... Shoot, I'm going to mess it up. I'm not going to say it, even. Oh, this is so <laughs> annoying. Where was it? I literally was just staring at the page yesterday, and like... Ugh! And you can see it where it was on the page in your mind's eye. <laughs> yeah, but I don't remember which the page worst. it was. I read it, like, a lot, and there was... Oh, yeah, 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 I found it, I found it. Uh, it was um, it was a quote from Neil Bohr, and it was, the opposite of a correct statement is a false statement, but the opposite of a profound truth may well be another profound truth. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, and he was a quantum physicist, Nels Bohr, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or something with physics. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was so like it, it left me like such a strong feeling, like oh, the opposite of a correct statement is a false statement, which is true because if you have something that you know is correct, the opposite would be false. But if you have one truth, that doesn't make another truth not 
true, even if it's maybe not true, like for you or all the time in all circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause he, this was like in a section where he's discussing like different religious perspectives and like learning from other religions and like, cause like a lot of people think you shouldn't. And he's, his response is essentially like, who cares? <laughs> anyway, that was a tangent. His, his, his actual response is the way that humans um, understand life through the way that they speak, like language guides how we think and stuff. And that engages, like, that's how we go through our life. Um, the same thing, like religion. So he was equating it with like the tower of Babel is really not just a metaphor for like humans being divisive, but also like religious and philosophical and just belief systems and stuff. And I thought that was cool. This is my random Ted talk. That, that of itself is like kind of a, on the subject of generosity and just like kind of perceiving that everyone has something to give you you know even if you aren't like inclined to accept it i guess Mm. thanks for bringing my random ted talk too (laughs) no 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 i think it really is it's it's i mean first of all like anything robert sacks has to say is relevant um but like (laughs) i I, yeah no i i feel like that's that's true obviously in in life on like a you know a, a big meta scale but like i i also feel like I mean, even on just, like, a dumb fandom scale. Like, what if people, like, looked at opposing ships, you know, like that, <laughs> as opposed to, like, being the enemy, you know? Um, because uh, if you're not familiar, the fandom wars can get brutal. I know. It's 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 so funny to me, because I'm in, like, a, a fandoms where, like, you know, I people will be like, I ship everything, and I write about everything, and, like, give me a pairing I haven't written yet, I will write it for you, you know, (laughs) like, there's just, yeah, there's just such different attitudes toward it among different fandoms and among different fans, and, yeah. Yeah, I think, just because I I do engage with fandoms from a not creative perspective, but a creative one where I'm, like, creating content that impacts how fans engage with it somehow, even though they really don't. (laughs) Don't say that your job isn't important. It is. I just don't think that, like, my work has that big of an impact on the day-to-day conversations, (laughs) except when people get mad at them. Um, I wish wish they did. I wish people appreciated my work more. Um, But just the, like, the... A few times I would like make statements like, no, I really am a fan of like every K-pop group. And people would be like, no, that's impossible. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, if, if I'm not a fan of them already, it's because I just don't have enough time or I haven't spent enough time with that band and their music to like fa- not find something that I like about that group. Like something like, or my brain just doesn't have enough capacity to handle all these 7,000 million groups that I have to now know. Um, Instead of just the, like the four hundred ones that are important, um, that that is, these are gross. Everyone is important. Um, that's the problem with the seven thousand. Is there some so are more important than know others. them all? Love them all. <laughs> well, I just don't have enough time in the day. Um, but I like would I like said that a few times, and people were just like, well, people are just like shocked. They're like, how can you enjoy them all? And like I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a capacity to like love like my capacity to enjoy and love isn't limited by like I mean it's limited by the, like the time I have in the day and like my brain power but aside from that like there's no I mean it, isn't that like I don't know like back to like you can never have too many friends or something well the more cake the more cake uh 
theory of um or the two cakes theory of fandom i think um is that like they say like if you're if you're writing something or creating something and and you're worried that you know it's about it's about people getting stuck in a cabin or whatever and you're worried that there are you know already so many fix out there and like there are other mountain fix that are going to be better than yours and it's it's not going to look that way to the fan the fan is going to look at at the at the two fix and they're not going to see you know one fic necessarily better than the other fic they're just going to be like oh my god two fix the same way you would be like if you had if you come to a, to parties and you you know one person brings a super fancy cake and one person brings a Duncan Hines cake, people are you know the, they might go ooh and ah over the the fancy cake, but mostly they're just going to be like ooh two cakes, you know. <laughs> so just embrace uh, the two cake theory of uh, of life and fandom. Honestly, I think based on like my conversations with people on Shabbos about Duncan Hines, people would prefer a Duncan Hines cake to a very fancy one. Just exactly. like people, people are obsessed with Duncan Hines. I've been like, Oh no, I make brownies from scratch. And people are like, why? I'm like, there is three more ingredients than in Duncan Hines. Calm down. <laughs> I I could, I could. Yes. I mean, I, I generally tend to agree with you. Although I did recently find a brownie recipe that is just really, really good. So which one is it? I wonder if it's the same one. Um, it's from um, um, Preppy Kitchen. Um, oh, never mind. Mine's from Food Dog. Um, I mean, honestly, like, they're all brownies. Like, it's, it's, it's <laughs> sure, right, right, I mean, like, a cake, basically. Yeah. The, the, the better brownie is the corner brownie, and aside from that, old brownies are good. So I am like, no, the better brownie is the center, but... In terms of generosity, that means that we can share perfectly and both be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So on that note of brownies, I think uh, unless anyone has anything else to particularly shout out, I think we'll wrap it up. I mean, I feel like we have to just give a shout out. um, Just like the patron saint of generosity is uh, Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Just like mention that somewhere in this episode. Yes, of course, the OG, just like giving of your time and and yes. Although I have developed personal rules for myself called the "not everyone can be Mister Rogers" rule and the corollary of "not everyone should be Mister Rogers" rule, and that if you're not Mister Rogers, it's okay. We're not all equipped for that. Also, Mister Rogers didn't have the internet, so um, oh that's man, also... <laughs> how would Mister Rogers have handled the internet? That is a question. I do not ever want to have invited the whole internet into his house and sat down with it and been like, what cardigan color should I wear today? And then everyone would tear him apart because cardigans are oppressive or something. So I guess uh, on that note, um, next time uh, on Nice Jewish Fangirls, we will be talking about the Mida or trait of gratitude. Um, And I think it's, 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 opposite as stated by our source safari.com link in the bio or description um is is also interesting which is deprivation um so i think that that will also be really interesting to consider but uh until then um tamar where can people find you on the internet and in certain bookstores (laughs) um you can find my book at bookstores if you promise not to look at the online reviews 
um, BTS Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Um, you can buy it on Amazon or Book Depository or sometimes in person. My friends have found it in Barnes and Nobles occasionally. Um, I've I've only I found it in person once, and that was like the best moment of my life. <laughs> um, or you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Tamara Writes, um, or you can follow my website tamarherman.com. I'm currently on hiatus from Twitter. Um, but because it's end of year award season or like end of year coverage season, I, I've been posting like random end of year coverage that I'm doing. (laughs) And so, yeah, so I've been posting some stuff. And so if you do follow or request me on Twitter, I will, um, I will accept you right now while I'm being minimally active. Um, and I will be back on the hiatus sometime. I will be back from the hiatus at some point in the future because I'm a Twitter addict and like, I cannot stop. Um, but I'm trying really hard. So please support me and my Twitter break, everybody. I support you in whatever choice you need to make for Twitter as a fellow Twitter addict who tried to quit and that didn't work. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, SM, how about you? So when I remember that Twitter exists, um, I go on sometimes like lately and post about Star Trek and you can follow me at floating spirals on Twitter and you can also follow my public posts on Facebook which tend to overlap a lot Um, because why come up with new material when you have good material to put in two places Um, and you can find my books uh, and short stories at um, amazon.com slash author slash SM Rosenberg so you can find uh, me not quitting Twitter uh, at Ink Ezrain, and you can find um, some of my other podcasts at Level 7 Access, which I do with our amazing editor, Jamie. We'll be discussing probably the Boba Fett show that's upcoming imminently, and the end of Hawkeye, and Spider-Man No Way Home, and just all that good stuff. And uh, there's also the Podcast of Surprise, which is my Witcher podcast. And since that show just came out, we will probably be doing more content on that upcoming. Um... Because I don't need to sleep. So. I got a notification from, from Netflix about that. And I was like, oh, man, Michal's going to have <laughs> have more stuff to do. Yeah. Oh, God. I, like, have a literal list. It's crazy. Um, Thanks for making time for us. Oh, please. You guys are, like, my my flagship podcast. Aww. You get the sold-out rooms at... Yeah, we did. Uh, we'll see if that... If we ever see its like again, I don't know, but I don't know if I if I never was a see good a full feeling. room again, I think my nerves will be happy. <laughs> oh god. Um so you can also find our editor Jamie uh at Jamie underscore Bloomberg and their website is jamberg.me. As for us as a collective, you can find Nice Jewish Fangirls on Twitter at Jewish Fangirls. We are on Facebook. Um, obviously, we're on SoundCloud and iTunes and pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts, although I think we still need to work on Spotify. Sorry, we'll get there. Um, and if one of us has an account, we can claim a podcast on Spotify, um, but I don't know if okay. any of us have an account. Because I okay. don't use Apple Music. Um, Sorry. I'm, not, I'm not sure. Maybe we can ask Jamie to do that for us. <laughs> um yeah so that is going to wrap us up uh for this week's discussion um email us at nicejewishfangirls.gmail.com if you have any thoughts we'd love to hear them especially about the meet out that we're going through we'd love to get your takes on the different different applications of these meet out in um fiction and fandom and reality or just like say hi that you 
We know yes, that too. Say hi. We love hearing that people are out there. Um, I don't, it's not like I check our SoundCloud numbers uh, obsessively for the first week that the podcast is out at all. Definitely don't do that. Uh, um, anyway, <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening and live long and prosper, everybody. <laughs>